Welcome to a special edition of Politics Aside. You know, Politics Aside was created for an opportunity for me to introduce friends of mine, national leaders and international leaders on topics that are timely, such as what is happening now with the Silicon Valley Bank, what's happening in the banking industry. Uh, I've invited one of my good friends for many, many years uh, to speak today. Hugh Anderson is the Managing Director of Hightower Las Vegas. 42 years of experience in financial services and a New York native. Uh, his motto is finding creative perspectives against conventional wisdom. And I want to do a quick uh, hat tip to Desert Research Institute, where I am in mobile today at the Desert Research Institute and the, the National Atomic Testing Museum. I want to thank them for allowing me to set up shop here mobily. So having said all that, uh, the dramatic happenings since last week, we have SVB Bank. Uh, a few weeks ago, they're the, the darling of the banking industry. Uh, a few weeks ago, they were set as an example of what other banks ought to be doing and one of the largest banks in the world. Now, what does it mean when that bank collapses, Hugh? What happens next? What's going on? Well, what you missed also, John, is next week, I believe they were going to be over in London uh, accepting an award for one of the best-run banks in the world. But that's uh, that's an, that's an aside. The uh, the the challenge that uh, Silicon Valley Bank has is that it had number one a concentrated uh, clientele. So uh, part of their uh, working model was that as these uh, companies in Silicon Valley went public, that uh, Silicon Valley Bank helped them go public. The expectation was that the proceeds from those offerings would be deposited with Silicon Valley Bank. And it became a very nice uh, flywheel approach to things. Over the course of the many years uh, of repressed interest rates, it became appropriate for uh, banks to do what they could to get whatever rate of return they could on those deposits when they weren't actually lending them out. Because as you know, most banks, all banks have to have a certain amount of money on deposit uh, from a regulatory standpoint, to be able to show stability as well as be available for depositors to make withdrawals. Well, uh, starting in 2022, when the Federal Reserve started raising interest rates, many banks that had uh, reached for yield, meaning that they bought bonds that were longer duration, those bonds started uh, becoming less valuable in on their portfolio. But if they if the bank wasn't intending to sell them, they didn't have to recognize those losses. But as uh, uh, banks, I mean, as depositors started withdrawing money to find higher yields elsewhere that the banks weren't offering, then the uh, banks had to start selling those bonds at massive losses. And that's what happened last week with Silicon Valley Bank. They had to sell uh, a bunch of their bonds that were deeply underwater because of uh, rising interest rates and the fact that uh, their customers, many of their customers are non-profitable tech companies that have only just gone public in the last several years, and they're essentially startups. So they're seeing challenges in their fundamental operating businesses. So not, not only do you have the fundamentals of banking, but you now have your customers are becoming uh, more precarious in their, in their situation. So uh, average consumer is, you know, certainly worried about what's going on in China, what's what's happening, you know, in Ukraine, uh, always what's happening in Washington, D.C. And now there is this sense of urgency and panic starting to happen. People wondering about their own savings and visions of 2008. 
Uh, but people are really nervous. And we wake up this morning and now it looks like the other banks are going to be impacted. So what really made this bank different than everybody else's? That's because uh, technology has become the centerpiece of our economic and uh, uh, our economic universe. Tech, the advances in technology are what we expect to see uh, society move forward with all the new innovations that Silicon Valley has rightly so been proud to bring forth for the whole world to adopt and adapt to. And uh, the fact that that linchpin of our economic growth over these many decades is now coming into question uh, has people uh, gives people pause for concern. Plus, we also have to remember, John, uh, any financial transaction is a transaction based on confidence. You and I put our money in a bank fully expecting to get that money back on demand. And people forget the fact that you're, when we make a deposit, that money is then lent out. And ideally, the bank, if they're prudent and thoughtful in how they lend that money out, the vast majority of their loans get paid back and they make their interest and we get paid our interest and the, the system works fine until it doesn't. And when you have a, a situation like we've had over the last uh, several days, uh, there's a crisis of confidence going on. And it's a good old fashioned traditional bank run. And people are uh, ask, are shooting first and asking questions later. Give me my money back and then I'll decide what to do later. I may put it back or I may not, but I want my money now. And um, whether whether the bank in question uh, is in jeopardy or not doesn't matter. Those people, those customers want their money back. So in this particular case, and I don't have the latest stats because, again, it's coming out by the minute and you're probably far more in tune than I am. But it, it seems like 93 percent of the funds that were within the bank were above the $250,000 limit from FDIC? Yes. the uh, Again, as I, as I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, part of the expectation for Silicon Valley Bank's uh, services were the expectation that if we help you, uh, technology company uh, A, we expect all proceeds and business transactions to be done through and with us regardless of the amount of money. So, John, if you and I started a tech company and we raised $500 million, they expected that $500 million to be put on deposit with them and, you know, payroll would be met and, you know, right. expenses would be met. But uh, it's sitting on my uh, balance sheet. And now as the bank, we go and invest that money. And that's really where the trouble began. And if you remember back uh, in the uh, Drexel Burnham days uh, during the so-called junk bond era, a part of that issue was uh, many many companies that went to uh, Drexel Burnham were uh, encouraged to borrow more than they actually needed, and the part of the excess was intended to buy other bonds that came to market, and it was the whole flywheel effect again. And then you get this concentration of uh, risk on the part of a, a select few players, and then things fall apart sometimes. So, you know, having said that, you know, we're focused now on this nameless, faceless institution that we no longer trust. But what it really means is this, there's the large tech organizations that may have hundreds of millions of dollars, um, but also that this waterfall or domino effect of a smaller investor that's still, you know, questioning trust, but maybe above the 250. But in essence, this puts jobs, families, Education, you know, payroll, of course, is the part of that domino effect. Uh, so, 
how, how is a consumer, uh, how do you know what bank to go to? I mean, you assumed all these things, right? We assume Washington's going to protect us, right? We assume there's rules in place to take care of all this. Um, and then it appears to be a management issue when, you know, we look at leadership in the bank. So what what are we what is the average business owner or, or family supposed to do to find trust in the banking industry? Well, first off, they need to recognize the uh, the limits of FDIC coverage. Now, the the fact that the uh, Treasury is uh, backstopping all the depositors in Silicon Valley Bank, uh, according to latest uh, news reports. So what you do, I want to talk more about that in a minute, but thank you for bringing that up. Yes. Please continue. And I think that's uh, purely a function of the fact that all of those companies that were, you know, that 93% of their deposits uninsured would basically bring to a screeching halt a major major segment of our economy where they would not be able to meet payroll, they would not be able to pay their bills, and layoffs and shutdowns would uh, cascade, as as the term you just used, uh, would start occurring. So I think that's, in essence, why the... uh, the Treasury decided to do what they're they're doing, but uh, there again, uh, you know, John Q. Public says, "Why do I have to play by the rules?" And these other folks don't, and that's and so for most people, I think they should recognize the FDIC limits, know the rules. If you're if you're uh, stay below the uh, the limit, you you are insured, and you should never have any issue with a bank that goes bad. Number two, you should pay attention to what your bank is, uh, what your what type of bank you're doing business with. Is it a local bank that's largely uh, involved in the construction business? Well, then the cycles of construction will be uh, important to that bank. Uh, same thing with uh, you know technology or what have you. So understanding where who you're trusting your money to is is very important. And then of course the the knowing what your money is in, because if you're investing in a bank or if you're saving in a bank, then that that bank is using your money. And so your money is now be, has become an investment, not necessarily your investment, but it's, uh, you should know that your deposit now went to a construction loan or it went to a, a high tech company or it went to a manufacturing company. And if that bank is broadly diversified and very well run and prudently managed, uh, then you should, you know, you should have confidence. But you can also get the information at the FDIC. But most people, of course, don't don't do that. They don't delve into the background on exactly how the bank is operating and what their reserves are and so forth. So it's really a function of if the government has these rules in place of FDIC coverage, stay below those coverages and then you know spread out your your eggs. And this is a classic case of don't keep all your eggs in one basket if if insurance coverage is important to you. So as you note, uh, Congress and Senate have been meeting throughout the weekend, you know, having uh, committee meetings and conversations, meeting with the, the Fed, uh, talking with FDIC and and bless the world of public servants. Uh, I sense now we're going to see another pendulum swing um, from a regulation standpoint, because, again, we as public servants, we're always looking for solutions to problems. Uh, so I expect we're going to see a lot of that, like starting any minute now in, in D.C. But also the fact that uh, there has been a commitment uh, to create a new uh, the Reserve and Treasury plan to create a new emergency liquidity facility. There is a dramatic announcement from Treasury and uh, Federal Reserve, and FDIC, that that all these investors will be fully protected. 
how does that work? I mean, does that mean that whatever, whomever, or whatever bank I'm involved with, I can now just count on the feds coming in and bailing it out? What does this mean? Well, I think uh, that's exactly the question, John. Where does it stop? Where do we draw the line? Because there are financial institutions throughout history, financial intermediaries that were not well run, were not well managed, were not thoughtful. And uh, they didn't necessarily intentionally blow themselves up, but they did. And should they be should they be bailed out? The the reality is, is that, you know, the the Federal Reserve and, you know, we can talk about this and we have talked about this for many times for many years. uh, The Federal Reserve acts as both pyromaniac and firefighter. They they start the problem and then they come in and rescue the problem. And uh, artificially suppressing interest rates for so many years caused too many uh, individuals and institutions to play fast and loose with sound economic thinking. And uh, in many cases were forced to because uh, there was that uh, old issue of there were no other alternatives when interest rates were actually negative. And you do you lose you lose sight of prudent uh, risk taking. And prudent risk taking means that I will back John Porter in his endeavor because he's got character, he's got integrity, he's got a good business model, he's got a history of uh, practical success, and his widget is something that looks like it could do well in the in the uh, investment world. Well, that that that's no assurance of absolute success, but it's a it's a sound uh, business risk. Well, if the Fed continue, if the if the federal government keeps running in to bail out every uh, miscalculation on the part of the business community and the financial markets, then nobody's ever going to play by the rules. So if you can run down the halls with the scissors without ever getting uh, hurt, then you're going to keep running down the halls with the scissors. Well, and, and by the way, I'm happy for the individuals, uh, especially those that their life savings uh, is on the line and businesses. And I, I do appreciate it. But I also can think of the domino effect now again with uh, the Fed ste- stepping in, saying everything's going to be okay. But I don't really know what everything's going to be okay means. I've been around Washington way too many years. I don't know what that really means. Uh, but I, I do sense now, again, not only within you know, the business community, but also the banking industry. So what what's happening, would you guess, today? within the community banking and the smaller banks and, and even the credit unions for that matter. What, what are they saying at their board meeting this morning? What are they talking about? I'm pretty sure that they're uh, talking about the the sheer uh, concern and borderline hysteria on the part of their depositors who are coming in and very concerned about the safety of their assets in that bank, whether that bank has any uh, risk whatsoever of contagion from these other issues. We have to remember that uh, uh, Silicon Valley Bank was a very unique niche bank, just like uh, some of the others. Many traditional community banks are not niche banks. Their their fundamental uh, dependence is on the general health of the economy in their local community. So if you think about the Washington DC economy, which is relatively stable because of the nature of government as a business and all the leasing and construction goes on there. Las Vegas with uh, its cycles and so forth. So any banks that cater to a particular community, you just have to look at the overall health of that uh, business, of that economic ecosystem, and that will tell you about the general health of that bank. But when there's a crisis of confidence, 
uh, then it just becomes a matter of helping people uh, relax and and postpone any uh, you know urgent decisions that might uh, might not be in their best interest. And then again, the question becomes, where do they go? A, a really good question, or go to SVB now because you know that's safe, right? So let's invest more uh, exactly. into a failed system. Now, I, I was in office, of course, during the crises, uh, the mortgage crises, banking crises, auto crises, and you saw a number of steps taken by Congress, if nothing else, uh, to show stability and to provide confidence back in those years, six, seven, eight. Uh, it was to show confidence. Uh, to, today, with you know multimedia, social media, and and stories, uh, and, and today you know as we analyze what happened with SVB, uh, there's a question of leadership. I was at the end of the day, it's about who's running the organization, and it it appears that maybe uh, they didn't learn from a few years ago. But well, this one end of the day again, without pointing fingers, end of the day, this is going to be about that there wasn't proper investigations or, or checks and balances, or is this going to be about from the federal government, or is this about peer leadership and their uh, decision-making on investments? What do you think, end of the day, this is going to be, how is this going to be categorized? Well, at the risk of running down the rabbit hole, you have to keep in mind, John, that there are an, an, there's a whole demographic of people who have never lived in a higher inflationary environment nor in an uh, interest rate environment where interest rates were above a fraction. I mean, we're talking about the better part of the last 15 years. So think about when you were in Congress and young people graduating that year. They're now in their mid-30s, and many of them in their careers are have achieved a certain level of managerial responsibility and so forth. They don't know anything else. And now suddenly, as they, the you know things are coming home to roost, and the reality is, is that the, the, the grayer hairs should have remembered and should always remember. And as long as the Fed and the, uh, the government continues to intervene in preventing mistakes, it's just like as parents, if you never let your child make a mistake, they never learn from that mistake. And we continue to spackle over problems and those problems continue to fester underneath the, the veneer of, well, it's all repaired, everything's fine, let's move on. And so when people will keep reaching because, well, I can take more and more risk because uh, I'm not going to get burned because the government's going to bail it out. And so, you know, at what point, if you think about what happened during the Great Depression, where many people lost their life savings when the banks failed completely and so forth, uh, they spent the rest of their lives never being in debt and never using the financial system. Now, of course, the never being in debt part may or may not be appropriate depending upon their circumstances because good debt has a place in an economic system and a business decision. Uh, but never never trusting the financial system again, the proverbial mattress uh, was not a good place to be. So there, there's, a, there's a fine line between uh, preventing a cataclysmic economic meltdown and seizure and letting the chips fall where they may when uh, imprudent business decisions and man management decisions have been made. Well, it, you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, this is a very special edition of Politics Aside. And, you know, I appreciate you hopping online with about five minutes notice. Uh, and, and I do value you your time. And I know you have a lot happening today. 
But if I could just kind of close with a couple questions. Uh, you mentioned, you touched upon it early. We're possibly on the eve of another increase in interest, correct? Correct. Uh, we're still looking at going into our second year in Ukraine and the cost of, of the um, establishment operations. Uh, business that you have built their their lines of credit and families on a different model that's starting to change. What happens if they raise it another point, half a point, three quarters of a point? What does that what does that do to the dominoes? What happens? Would you guess? The the Fed is looking for a certain level of equilibrium between uh, financial market uh, valuations, stock market valuations, and interest rate equilibrium, and to get inflation down to a certain level. There's still too wide a disparity between those metrics, and so the you know. Arguably, we're already in a recession. Many people don't see it or feel it just yet, except people who've already been laid off. Uh, but the CEO of FedEx back in October said we were in a global recession. And if you think about all the years we've heard about uh, the FedEx and UPS and the post office not being able to uh, deliver packages on time during the holiday season, this past year, uh, uh, FedEx and UPS had planes parked because due to lack of uh, demand. For their services, delivery services. So that arguably we've already been in a recession to one degree or another, and now it's getting progressively worse because the Fed started raising rates back in uh, early 2022, and there is a, a healthy, roughly a year, give or take, lag between raising rates and when they actually start biting. So it's all—it's like when you put the, your foot on the on the brake in a rainstorm. When you first put the foot on the brake, the car is not slowing down enough because you, it's the road slick and the water's under the tires. But eventually, the, the more you push, the car will finally stop. And yeah. now we're getting to that phase. And, you know, there's an old adage that the Fed keeps raising rates until something breaks. Well, what happened over the weekend? Something broke. Now, the, will they stop? They've already telegraphed that they're going to raise rates at the next meeting. Yeah. Inflation is still very high. It is causing massive uh, income inequality among our population. Those of us with assets have benefited from a rise in inflation because some of our assets have increased in value. But the person who doesn't have assets but just a paycheck is uh, is losing purchasing power dramatically, and that's a problem that the Fed has to cure, which they caused, by the way. So the last, probably the easiest question to you today, <laughs> it's about the debt ceiling. And, you know, that is looming as well. You know, the federal government has over, overcharged its credit card. Now the bills do. Uh, and we see what's happened over the weekend. As the politics align, now this is politics aside, we're not, we are not picking sides. We're talking about politics. Uh, you have the conservative members of the Republican Party and the more progressive members of the Democratic Party, and then you have the more, I think, more in reason uh, members of Congress. Uh, the, the president's new budget has come out, some of the highest taxes, according to the media. So uh, as we get into this debate of, uh, or getting closer to coming to a, a conclusion with the debt ceiling sometime early this summer, how does that fit into the confidence level of the industry, of the investor, of the family, of, you know, small business, moms and dads, how does all this fit into the lack of comfort and security? Well, you, you talked about it uh, a few minutes ago about leadership and management. People are looking for sound 
uh, thoughtful and strong leadership among our electeds as well as managers and everything else. And I think uh, the longer uh, the uh, our con- con- uh, political leadership plays chicken with this uh, discussion, and if the economy is uh, beginning to continue to weaken uh, because of the Fed's intent to slow it down so we can get inflation back under control, that will create a lot of uh, discomfort, which would create volatility in the financial markets. And uh, the reality is, John, you know, raising taxes, uh, increasing regulation, you and I both know that's not the, that's not the answer to improving our, our debt issue, our, our debt situation. Uh, the best way for us to uh, fix the debt problem is to grow unleash the animal spirits, create productivity-enhancing policies that will allow this country to do what it does best, and that's grow. And if we grew the way we are capable of growing, the debt would not be an issue. But we have hamstrung the economy in so many uh, respects, and we really haven't had a major innovation, productivity innovation in this country since the late 90s when the internet uh, really went mainstream. Uh, you know, you can only have so many iterations of a new cell phone, and that's not that's not innovation. That's just a product enhancement. We need to unleash the animal spirits, and it would not be a problem. But right now, it's a problem because we do not have that productivity growth, and we do have a slowing economy. And uh, both sides are going to play politics with this. And if they take it too far in terms of uh, what the public perceives as a lack of leadership, it could create some uh, real volatility in the markets. Well, now, Hugh Anderson, Managing Director of Hightower Las Vegas, uh, I appreciate you sharing your experience for 40-some years uh, being on this last-minute call. Uh, and I do think it provides value insights from, from your, your perspective. Uh, thank you uh, for today, and of course, your friendship, and our thanks to the National Atomic Testing Museum for letting me set up shop here in about five minutes in the Desert Research Institute. Uh, and we appreciate everyone joining us. And as I said, just politics aside, and hopefully you could put, put politics aside and sit back and enjoy and learn from some of the best in the world. So, Hugh Anderson, thank you. Appreciate it. We'll hope to see you soon. So thank you, John. Enjoy the conversation. Take care. Bye now.